different countries every year and, uh, and travel a lot. Every, in fact, by this time next week, I'll be able to say that already this year I've been on five continents. Uh, and so I, I am blessed to be able to travel and to, to see. And you would think by now that I would have learned something, and I think that I have. And I want to share those lessons with you this morning. Uh, just by way of reminders, I'm going to do it in a little different way because I want to share these biblical principles, these reminders with us from Scripture, but also illustrate them from some of the work that we're doing around the world. So what have I learned? Uh, I have flown about two million miles around the world and have been interpreted, my preaching and teaching has been interpreted into probably more than 25, 30 different languages. So again, a lot of exposure around a lot of good people, and I've been blessed for it. People say, oh, you're, you're such a blessing. Well, I'm blessed more. I, I feel that way all the time. People ask me, often ask me, how are you doing? I say, better than I deserve. I'm blessed. I want to share these reminders with you because these are true for all of us. But I'm just fortunate because I'm often reminded of these things. Today I just want to share them with you. The first thing I'm reminded of often is this world is not my home. This world is not my home. We like to sing that song. In fact, it's, a, it's got a good tune. It's got a good idea. We like the thought of it. But sometimes the reality is we don't really mean that. This world kind of is our home. I mean, we kind of get attached to it, don't we? Th this is what we see. This is what we know. This is what we're busy doing every day. And, and we kind of do view this world as our home. And no matter how often we say, this world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere, where? Supposedly beyond the blue, but sometimes, boy, that's hard to do. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 through 18. He said, For which cause we, uh, we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us in us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And this, this is what he says. For while we look not at the things are, which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And he says also, for the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary, they're passing, but the things which are not seen, those are the eternal things. And we say that and we truly want to believe that, but sometimes it's hard. And I'm just fortunate because I am often reminded that this world is not my home. This is our house. My wife's with us today. This is our house. All of you are welcome to visit, just not at the same time, please. It's a nice house. It's an adequate house. It, we like it. Generally speaking, we like it. But what if, you probably have a house something like this, but what if this was our house? What if? Did you know there are many, 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 many people that if they were going to show you a picture of their house, this is what it would look like? By the way, that's two houses. And, and we would think, oh, poor things. They wouldn't think that at all. I mean, it does what it's supposed to do, right? When they want to sleep, they go inside. It keeps them dry. Uh, sometimes they may need some warmth in there. Sometimes they may even open the door to let some breeze in, but it does what it's supposed to do. And if this world is really not my home, does it really matter what kind of house I live in? 
Now, some of you are wearing nice clothes. Most of you. There's a few exceptions I've noticed, you know, but, but generally speaking, most of you are wearing nice clothes. But what if, and the children are dressed really well, but what if these were your children? And this was what they had to wear. If they were going to wear a shirt, this is what they had. And as I said earlier, this is, this is not to exploit. In fact, these children would be so proud that you were seeing their picture on the screen. This is all they know. They're not embarrassed by this. Does it really matter how nice my clothes are? Does it really matter how nice my car is or for that matter how old it is or how many miles it is if it does what it's supposed to do? You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we get so attached to this world and the things of this world that in all reality we can't truthfully sing the song, This World is Not My Home. I struggle with that too. I mean, we have it so good, we have it so nice. It is hard to not get attached to this world. I can tell you there are a lot of folks that I get to meet and see and work with on a regular basis. They're not so attached to this world. They often talk about heaven. They often say things like, I'll say, I'll see you tomorrow. And they will say, if we're given another day, you will. They don't even assume another day. I'm thankful for the reminders that I get that this world is not my home. There's another lesson that I've learned, and that is that adversity is not our enemy. I mean, adversity is adverse, right? I mean, and we don't like it, and we are reasonable to avoid it if we can. But the truth is, sometimes we can't. And when we face adversity, many times it depends on our, our uh, perspective, and it, it kind of depends on what we're made of, but sometimes we melt. We fold under the pressure of adversity. But if we will view it in the right way, actually adversity can be a good thing. In Psalm 119, the psalmist in verse 67 said, I strayed from you and I was afflicted. And then in verse 71, he says, because I, have a, I was afflicted, I have kept your word. You know what he's saying? I made some bad choices. I did the wrong thing, but I suffered for it. And that made me want to come back and do the right thing. And not all adversity, not all suffering is because we do the right thing, but it can be good for us. Tell you about this young man he was not a christian at the time that he was riding his bike down the road and a car hit him actually it was a hit and run they never found who did it but they left him it left him in the ditch they thought he was going to die he did not die but he is paralyzed for the rest of his life through that adversity he began to think about what really mattered in life became a christian and is faithfully serving god and rides this hand bicycle miles to worship every Sunday, and that's where I met him. That's in southern Tanzania. See, adversity isn't our enemy. Satan is our enemy, but adversity is not. When you tell about Vincent, I love this story, true story. Vincent was one of our students in Watutu, Cameroon. Cameroon's in West Africa, and he was in his second year of school. He was getting ready to go out somewhere to preach somewhere. I forget where now, but he been, had been invited to go out. He was standing at the bus stop waiting to catch a bus. A few days before, in that same area, some young men about his age had caused some problems. The police overreacted. Three days later, came in and rounded up in this area all the young men that sort of fit the profile. 
and he was one of them, happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was taken to prison. I've been in the prison. You don't want to spend an hour in that prison, let alone the time he had to spend there. Word got back to the school. They began making phone calls. They began doing everything they could to get him released from prison. They finally did, but it took almost three months. Almost three months. In this prison, the prison doesn't provide uh, any food. If there's any food, they have to get it from a relative who brings it to them. They have to cook it themselves out in the courtyard. There are no mattresses provided. If you want a mattress, someone has to bring it for you. Otherwise, you sleep on the concrete. Get the picture? He spent three months in that situation because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You talk about adversity. So what do you do? I would like, I would, I would tell you what I would like to think I would do. But I think the reality is I may not. But I can tell you what he did. While he was in prison in those nearly three months, he studied with and baptized 18 people. Started the Lord's church in that prison. And until today, we still, the Lord's church still meets in that prison every day. We even have our own Lord's Supper table. We have a baptistry in the courtyard. When I was there a couple of years ago when I preached there, the room was completely full. We had more than 50 in attendance and baptized three in the courtyard of the prison. When I heard about it, I said, what do we need to do to get more of our students arrested? What do you do when adversity comes? The Apostle Paul was under house arrest in Rome after a hard four-year period of false imprisonment for two years in Caesarea and a shipwreck and a serpent bite and now imprisoned in, in, in uh, Rome. And what does he do? Apparently, he converted the guards who had to be with him who in turn took the gospel into Caesar's household. Adversity isn't our enemy. We don't like it. But I'm telling you, with God's help and the right perspective, we can not only overcome it, we can grow through it. And it happens every day around the world, especially among some of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Adversity isn't our enemy. Another lesson that I'm reminded of constantly is I am thankful to be a part of God's family. Aren't you? The family of God. We sing that song sometimes. Sometimes we sing it only at funerals. We ought to sing it a lot more often than that. We're part of the family of God. There are a number of metaphors that Scripture uses to describe the church. It's the vineyard of God. It's the, 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 uh, the church of God. It is the, the bride of Christ. Uh, and, and a number of metaphors to give us an idea of what the church is. And there are different functions and blessings and responsibilities. But I think my favorite is found in 1 Timothy 3.15 where Paul tells Timothy that you need to know that the church is not only the pillar and ground of truth, but it is the household of God. We would say it's the family of God. We're family. I have enjoyed many times being in some country where I look completely different than my interpreter. Completely different skin color, completely different, well, I almost said completely different hair, but, but that's... The, a totally different, uh, I mean, he actually has them. We two look totally different. And I put my arm around him and I say, we're brothers, can't you tell? You see, we're in the family of God. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. And we don't get to, you don't get to see them all. 
But I'm blessed to see a lot more of them than most. And I'm reminded what a blessing that is. Uh, they have this tradition in East Africa at the end of a worship service, and I just got to experience it two or three weeks ago in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. At the end of worship, when everything's been said and done, the song leader starts leading a song, and then he walks out, and then the next person files out from the front rows to the back, and as they file out, they shake everybody's hand. So you, you walk out, and you shake everyone's hand, and when you get to the end, you stop, and now you are part of the line, and you shake everyone's hand until everyone is out, and everyone has shaken everyone's hand, and it forms a complete circle, and then they're dismissed. It's a beautiful, symbolic reminder that we're together we're together in this we're together in Christ we're family we're God's family these are some of the graduates in Haiti by the way I wish I could be here tonight to hear uh, the report from Haiti we, my wife and I love that country and the people there we actually took a family vacation there uh, all of our family to work in a children's home a number of years ago those are the graduates in Port-au-Prince Haiti by the way, I've been caught in civil unrest, so guys, wherever you are, whomever you are, I, I identify with that, and I appreciate what you went through to share your medical knowledge to help and bless other people. But that's part of being in the family of God too, isn't it? This is Denise Sopelnik in the middle. You know, we would say Dennis. They pronounce it Denise in Ukraine. In the year 2000, it was the second year I taught in a Bear Valley Extension School, and this was in Ukraine. And we did things a little differently back then, and, and it wasn't nearly as, as good or as efficient or productive. And I left that week really discouraged. Um, I, in fact, came home and said that was a wasted trip. That was in the year 2000. For probably 15 or 16 years, I viewed that trip as a waste. Until I got an email from Denise. He said, you may not remember this, but I was in your class in 2000. And you're the first Bible teacher I ever had. Not only did he go on to become a Christian, he has, is and has been for a number of years the director of the school in Ukraine. I couldn't be prouder of him. And look at his beautiful family. By the way, the other man is Denny Petrillo, the president of Bear Valley. We were there celebrating the 20th anniversary of the school. This is Durat. Durat is one of the, school, the directors of the school in Cambodia. He also was a, a former student. Couldn't be prouder of this man either. Uh, it, back in November, I dropped in on the school. They didn't know I was coming. There was a completely unannounced. I wanted to see what goes on when nobody knows we're coming. And so I dropped in. I landed that morning. I got a tuk-tuk. I told the tuk-tuk driver how to get to the school. I got to the school. Nobody knew I was coming. I walked in. I opened the door. You should have seen the look on his face. But I caught him in the middle of passionately teaching. I said, what are you teaching? Christian evidences. Couldn't be prouder of him. That's what's going on when we're not there and they don't even know we're coming. By the way, he and some others took it on themselves. It was their idea, and they paid for it. They got a tuk-tuk. By the way, if you don't know what a tuk-tuk is, it's pulled by a motorcycle. It's an open-air 
place, thing you can ride in, very common, is the most common form of transportation. They had one made that's handicap accessible. And as a free service to anybody who needs it, they run this tuk-tuk to help people who are handicapped. You see, that's part of being in the family of God. We have brothers and sisters all over this world. I'm blessed to be reminded of that. that not only that that is true, but to even enjoy and know those blessings as well. I'll tell you about another thing I've been reminded of, and this is a hard one, and that is that discipleship has its price. I mean, it really does. Now, that's, that's not a surprise. Uh, Jesus told us that it would, didn't he? He said, if anyone wants to follow me, he has to take up his cross daily and follow me. And I've heard people say, you know, well, I've just got, I've got a bad knee. It's just the cross I'm going to have to bear. No, that's not what he was talking about. The cross was synonymous with death. It was like saying, I'm going to have to take up my electric chair. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, discipleship has its price. And I'll tell you, for, for us, in a country where at least we say we are blessed to not have to worry or suffer, I don't know if it's a blessing, because sometimes we forget that discipleship has its price. But I get to meet people regularly and work with them who have had to make some really hard choices and have had to pay the price to be a disciple. These are some of the students in India where when you become a Christian in this Hindu nation, you give up a lot. You probably are going to be ostracized from your family, and from a, a legal standpoint, you give up a lot of rights of the average citizen. And it's actually gotten worse in the, recent, in the last few years. And you imagine, you come to, to, the, to someone and say, you know what, I'm ready to be baptized. And, you, and, and, the, and the preacher says, okay, I'm ready to baptize you. Now, are you ready to uh, have to change your name, be ostracized from your family, give up any legal right to Social Security, Medicare, and retirement? Oh. That's essentially what all of them do. Discipleship has its price. These are the students in Cambodia. You may know, notice how young they are. Cambodia is one of the youngest countries in the world. Uh, there's all, they're missing a, a generation because of the Khmer Rouge uh, massacres that went on in that country only in the 70s. It wasn't that long ago. These are the first generation to be Christians who are, by the way, um, some of them are marrying each other and, I mean, the school in some way has become a marriage factory. And they're raising what will be the first generation in that country's history to raise a family, mom, dad, and the kids, in the Lord's church. But not without a price. Some of those students that come to school in Cambodia have been completely disowned by their family. Can you imagine 18 years old and your parents say, if that's what you're going to believe, if that's what you're going to do, don't ever come back in this house. That's a choice no one should ever have to make, but they have to, and they do. The story gets me every time. This is Tin Lin. Tin from the country of Burma. Wayne Barrier, who is the, the coordinator for the school in Myanmar that you are partnering with us in, 
told me this story. Wayne has been going there for more than 20 years when it was Burma. He actually had to use some contacts at the State Department to even get a visa because of the condition, the, the, the political and military condition of the country. He said, we went, he and another American flew to Rangoon, now Yangon, the, the biggest city, and then they flew up to another city called Calais. That's where the campaign was going to be. He already knew, Wayne already knew some brethren there. They were going to have a big campaign. When they got off the plane, Wayne and the other American were taken by soldiers into what Wayne said was pretty much like a, a cargo container. There were lights. There was yelling. There was intimidation. The soldiers periodically would stick the end of their rifles under their chins. This went on for three hours. And finally, and finally, Wayne said, well, I don't understand why you're doing this. We actually have friends here who have invited us here. And they said, where are your friends? And they said, they're out, they're waiting for us at the airport. So they went and they brought 10 Lin in. Same thing happens, but now it's all in Burmese. So Wayne and the other American don't know what's going on, but there's more yelling and there's more intimidation and shoving and rifle barrels under chins. Finally, Wayne said it went quiet. Soldier put a piece of paper up under tin. He signed his name, slid it back across the table, and then they were free to go. They left. As they were driving, Wayne said, Tin, what just happened back there? He said, well, it's currently, under the current laws, it's punishable by imprisonment for you to convert, for us, to, for anyone to convert a non-Buddhist to Christianity. Convert a non-Buddhist to Christianity, you go to prison. If you convert a Buddhist to Christianity, it's punishable by death. And what they had made him do was sign that he would take the punishment for everything that was going to happen. And then he said these words, and I don't think I'll ever forget them. Tin said to Wayne, next week I will probably die for what we do this week. Let's make it count. Wayne said, and we did. We got there, there were 700 people waiting to hear us preach. We knew there were government spies in the audience, but we baptized a lot of people. After the week had gone by, they went back to the airport, to Calais, to fly back. Tin went with them. No reason to hide. He went back with them. Wayne said, we were sitting in the plane. We looked out the window. And the soldiers were taking him away. Wayne said it was the sickest feeling he's ever had in his life. Can you imagine? He was sentenced to death by firing squad. The execution date was set. On the date of the execution... There was some uprising, some commotion in another part of the country of all things caused by Buddhist monks. I didn't think they even did that. The military became distracted with that. They focused on that, and, and essentially he had a stay of execution. So he didn't die that day. Another date was set. 
and something else happened, and again, he didn't die that day. The execution date was set one more time. And again, something else happened, and he wasn't executed. Another date was set, but before that date came, the laws were changed, and he was released. That picture is taken from his Facebook page. He's alive and well today. He's still preaching. I know him. He's going to be helping mentor some of these graduates that you are helping to train. And I told him, I want you involved because you know that there's a price. And you're obviously committed. In a world, in a country, in a culture where we're so free and we can worship, not one of us has been worried at all, have we? Sometimes we forget discipleship has its price may we remember that a little bit humiliating sometimes isn't it to think about sometimes we we don't don't want to be laughed at or left out and here's a man that says i'm going to die next week let's make it count and you know what if he had died that day that would have been all right too wouldn't it he was ready and what about all of us? We're going to die one day. The, the only question is, what did we do between now and then to make a difference? Jesus said discipleship has its price. One more lesson that I am continually reminded of is that I am extremely blessed. Extremely. And I mean that in a number of ways. I'm extremely blessed that I get to be a part of this work. If you were in class, you know that we now, there are more than 800 students that are learning from the Bear Valley curriculum in different schools around the world, more on the way. Uh, it is entirely possible that by the end of this year there will be 1,000 enrolled. I'm blessed to be a part of that. I was speaking at a function, some leadership conference in Tanzania a, a couple of years ago, and I, I noticed there were a lot of former students, and I said, if, if I've ever taught you, I want a picture with you. These are just a few of them. And I was so proud because I know them and I know their life and I know what they're doing. And I thought, how blessed I am. It's humbling. No, I had some part in this. But I'm also reminded, because it's so easy to see when I'm in these different places, how blessed I am in other ways. I don't wear clothes like that. My house doesn't look like that. I actually have a couple of cars that usually run. A few weeks ago, I went into Walmart to buy groceries, and I went in there, and they had everything I wanted, I mean, you know, big displays of food. You've got to understand, this is not normal in most places. Big displays of food, the produce section at Walmart, most people have never seen anything like that. I know they have 48 cash registers, and only three of them are open, but I'm telling you, we're blessed. I knew a Ukrainian man who came to the U.S. and he was looking at the freezer, the ice cream section in the freezer section, and he said something to his wife, and the loose translation of it was, bury me in there and let me eat my way out. <laughs> He'd never seen anything like it. And I bought everything I needed, and then I, and I had money to pay for it. And I was walking out, and I, I pulled out the little fob in, for the car, and I... I pressed a button, 
about 50 feet away, the hatch opened. I never even had to break stride to put the groceries in there. And I'm telling you, literally, I thought to myself, I've got it made. How about you? I've got it made. I am so blessed. And some people will say, well, don't you feel guilty? I mean, you're around people who don't have anything. Don't you feel? No, I don't feel guilty. And the reason is I'm not the source of my blessings. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, Moses told the people of of the, the Israelites, when you go into that promised land, you're going to be very well off. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have it made. And you need to remember that you are not the source of your blessings. That even the ability to gain wealth has come from God. I don't feel guilty because I'm not the source of my blessings. What I am forced to do, though, is wrestle with two questions. One is easily answered. The other is not so easily answered. The first one is, am I blessed? The answer is yes. The second one is much more probing and much more difficult to to wrestle with. Why? 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 Why do those children have to wear those clothes and mine complain if that's not the exact color blue that they wanted? Why do I have a house that looks like mine and they have one that has to be repaired because the rains come and the mud goes down? Why do I have money in my bank account and they live day by day? Why? Why? And I've wrestled with that and I'll tell you there's only two answers, two possible answers. Why am I blessed so much, number one, to consume it on myself, to make my life as easy and enjoyable and cush and comfortable as I can in my time here? That's one possible explanation for why I'm so blessed. The other possible explanation is so that I can be a blessing to others. So that in my time here, that not only can I live a good, enjoyable life, but I can also make a difference and be a blessing to others. I think you know which answer I've concluded is the truth. We are blessed. And we are blessed to be a blessing. And let's not get attached to this world. It's not our home. I'm telling you, your house is here, but this isn't your home. We're blessed. There's some adversity that comes along, but that's not the enemy. Satan's the enemy, not the adversity. But when we do have all of that, we have the family of God to lean on. We're blessed in that way, too. And we need to remember that discipleship has a price. There's a sacrifice involved. Jesus never pulled any punches. He never tried to hide that fact. He always said that's the way it would be. We're blessed to be a blessing to others. This morning, if you need to make your life right with God, we invite you to take advantage of this opportunity. If you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that today. You can have those sins washed away, and you can be added to God's family by God himself through the forgiveness that's available through Jesus Christ. Whatever your need is this morning, if we can help you in some way, please let us know what it is right now while we stand and sing.